You know, there's, there's a survey that's been done. I'm, I'm going to use a PowerPoint here in a second, but just start off with, with, there's a survey that's been done that I didn't know about. And I looked this up recently, and, and uh, uh, there's a couple different source resources where they, um, they poll people in churches and ask, what are your favorite Bible verses? And in fact, let, let's, let's do a little bit of a, a back and forth here for a second. What do you think the number one, the, the last two years, the number one Bible verse of people's favorite is, you know, for the last two years, same verse. What do you think that verse would be? Hey, you, you, did you read the survey? That's it. Now, the second verse this past year was different than the year before. This past year, the second verse was Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, I have a long story on that, but I'm not going to tell that today. In fact, I, that, that verse to me, is, it's, it's a great verse. But so many people read it for what they want out of it rather than what God's really saying. But that, that was second for 2013. And number three for 2013 is the verse we're using today. Romans 8, 28. And it's interesting, for 2012, it was number two. John 3.16 was number one, Romans 8.28. Now, how many of y'all know Romans 8.28? For we know that God causes what? Some things, a few things, all things. He causes all things to, to, to basically, to, to paraphrase, to fit together. And, and he, he causes all things to come together for the sake of our good. And, and he, you know, I realize that's a paraphrase as I say that, but that's what the verse is describing. Now, this morning we're going to look at that verse. We're going to look at that verse, but before we do that, I've got, like I say, I've got a PowerPoint, and, and, and uh, we've got a, a Charlie Brown coming. How many of y'all like Charlie Brown? Yes, I, I think, you know, his theology is, is, is always interesting. So we, we flip over, and there's Lucy and Linus. You know, brother and sister, they're sitting there looking out the window, and you know, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world, she says. And can't you hear Lucy saying that? Yeah, I can. I mean, no pessimistic Lucy, you know. Uh, so here's Linus. He, he responds, he says, we'll never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. So here, here's Linus responding to his sister. And now... I can envision her response being all kinds of different things, but this time she surprises us because her response is, whew, you've taken a load off my mind. You know, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at that one, but now I love Linus's last response, and this is where we're headed this morning. His final response to her is, sound theology has a way of doing that. Now, that one's pretty profound. And I say that's profound because you know what? There's, there are so many times in our lives when we need to get back to where's that stable foundation of sound theology? Actually, probably every day, we, we, we likely have to get down to say, okay, what is the, what's the truth that really applies now? God, what do you have to say to this circumstance? What is going on and how can I negotiate my way, navigate my way through this particular situation or circumstance. So this morning we're going to look at Romans 8.28. We're going to look at the whole chapter of Romans 8 in a sense. And, and we're going to see, in fact, here, next slide. Sound theology? Since when does theology make a difference in everyday life? 
Sadly enough, that's the attitude that most people have. There was a professor years ago at Gordon-Conwell Seminary in, in Boston, or in the Boston area, and, and uh, his, his, Dr. Wells was his name. And he was teaching a systematic theology course, and he had a couple students come up to him second day of class or so and says, you know, Prof, I'm taking your class only because I have to. But we all know that theology really doesn't make that much difference anymore, does it? In fact, that's the intro to the book that he wrote, or a book that he wrote. But he wrote this book and he expresses this. And sadly enough, if seminary students believe that, you know what, most of us sometimes get this, you know, sound theology. I don't need that technical textbook stuff. Truth is we do, though. We need to get back to the basics so more often, so much more often than we tend to do. So this morning we're looking at Romans 8. And I'm not going to read the entire passage today. We will probably get through much of the passage as we look at this. But we're looking at Romans 8 and just simply the verse that we focus on, 28. It's around the screen now, I think. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'm going to say... In fact, the Bible I'm using today, the translation of the, the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, is a little bit different than that. But I'm just going to say flat out that this is my favorite translation of Romans 8.28. In fact, this is my translation of Romans 8.28. I feel this says it the way that I, I believe the Apostle Paul wanted it said. We know that God causes, that God causes all things in some fashion to work together for good to those who love him, to those that are called, that they sense that God is at work in our lives and I recognize that he has purposes for me and I'm called according to his purpose. Now the question is raised, if God promised good for us, why is life sometimes filled with challenges? You have any challenges this past week? For that matter, you have any challenges this morning when that alarm clock rang an hour early for some people? Now, I've got this body clock that I don't need an alarm clock these days, but you know what? This morning, I didn't wake up at the time that I wanted to wake up because my body clock says it was an hour different than what it really was. Now, is that the biggest challenge we face today? If it is, boy, we're fortunate. We're fortunate, but you know, life is filled with challenges. And... I've had it said to me so many times in, in counseling sessions and in times with people and, and just different meetings I have where people will say to me, now, if God really promised good to us, why is life so hard? Why is life so difficult? Why is life so much the way that, that, that we find it to be? And where is God in the midst of all of this? You know, you ever, you ever wonder, where's God when life doesn't go so smoothly? God, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? In fact, when I look at that verse, God causes all things to work together for good. Wait a minute now. This doesn't feel so good, God. It's funny, I I can tell that I'm, you know, there's some of you that just, you've got that smile and that nod, and yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. This morning, hopefully, by the time we're done, we will be able to see some things that will um, 
guide us a little bit. It, it'll maybe just, just remind us of that sound theology that's necessary so that we can, in fact, negotiate and navigate through life. Now, first thing I want to do, I want to just take a quick look at uh, some context. And I, I think that's so important. In fact, I, I mentioned that Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, I, I, as I said, that's a great verse. I'm not preaching on that this morning. But the number one thing we need to do when we look at a verse that has got so many great truths in it, so many great ideas, and we need to look, what's the context? What's said around that verse? What are the things that bring that verse its meaning? We look at Romans 8, 28. What are the things that bring this verse to its meaning? In fact, the first thing we see in Romans 8, verse 1, notice, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great truth? The fact that Christ is my Lord and my Savior, that means that I don't have to be concerned about what happens at the end of my life. There's no condemnation. I don't fear the damnation of hell. Because Christ paid a price for me, and I've trusted in what Christ did for me, and therefore, no condemnation. That's the first point of context that's just vital for us to understand Romans 8.28. There's no condemnation. There's nothing that we need to fear in light of death. There's nothing we need to fear in light of damnation or punishment or being sent to hell when we're dead, when we die. And that's a great context. But now the second thing that I want us to see, and this is one that's a little more, it's, it's a little more, it's presented very straightforwardly in Romans 8, but it also, it takes a little more effort to grasp. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this particular concept this morning, but it's going to be woven into the message. And that is when we look at Romans 8, 9 through, verses 9 through 17. In fact, look at that part of the, of the chapter there. Romans 8, verses 9 through 17. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. And we go on, and I'm not gonna, I could read farther, but I'm not going to. But the, the reality is, is God's Spirit resides in every genuine follower of Jesus Christ. I've got the Holy Spirit living inside of me. The moment I trusted Jesus Christ, it says it in Ephesians chapter 1, the very moment I trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God implanted in me a, a part of Him, so to speak, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit indwells us. And, you know, in fact, we talk about that sound theology. In the middle of the week, when things aren't going so well, you're not rubbing shoulders with your brothers and sisters in Christ here from the church and things are just maybe a little dicey or something in, in, in your circumstances. One thing that we always had to keep in mind and we need to remember is God's Spirit lives inside of me. God's Spirit lives inside of me. God, you put yourself in my, in my life. And that's in the context of Romans 8 and, and we have to understand that truth too. In order to grasp what God says to us, 
in the idea that he causes all things to work together for good. If we don't remember that spirit living inside of us, that all things working together for good, they're, they're not always going to fit together in the way we think they should. We're going to be questioning God a little more often, I sense, if that's the case. So those two points of context are important. But now, what I want us to see here, and we're going to go quick. We're not going to delay. We're not going to dilly-dally. But we're going to look at what I consider six vital truths. And, and on the notes that you got in the bulletin today, scratch out that how. I don't know how it got there. But it's there. It's, it's a typo. Just scratch out six vital truths about God and his perfect plan. Six vital truths about God and his perfect plan. Or to say it in other words, six things that give us a better perspective on how God is at work in our lives. And it's so key, I think, that we remember day in, day out, moment by moment, God's at work. God's at work in this. God's causing things to work together for good. I don't see it right now. But God's at work. And these six things are vital, I think, for us to understand those ideas. First thing I want us to see when we look, in fact, that verse, God causes all things to work together for good. First thing we see is God's power. God's power. In other words, what we're saying there is that God is capable to work everything out in order to accomplish his plans and purposes in our lives. You know, God is capable of doing that. And, you know, one of the things that my family, in fact, uh, my family's probably heard this so many times that uh, they can even see the look in my eyes before I'm going to say it, but I'll make the statement, God's bigger than this. God is bigger than this situation we're facing. God is bigger than this problem that we're seeing. God is bigger than all the circumstances of our lives. Why? Because God is capable to work everything out to accomplish his plans and purposes. If we don't understand that truth about God, we're going to run into some challenges, some additional challenges. So we see God's power. Now, what, what do we see in this? Well, first off, God has complete control over all his creation. Now, that's hard for me to grasp because I see things that, God, why is it that way? Why is it this way? But yet, the bottom line of God's word, the bottom line of Romans 8, the key idea in Romans 8, 28, revolves around the fact that God has complete control over all his creation. And if we don't understand that truth, if we don't accept that truth, then our faith is going to crumble at times. And it's just key that we understand that. Or secondly, God's plan or God's purposes cannot be thwarted by various circumstances of life. Now, that's a mouthful. But I think it's important for us to realize that no matter what goes on, you know, we go back to November 17th. Steve, who I see he must be in Children's Church or somewhere else right now. Uh, Steve and I were talking before the service. You know, how many days does Washington have to go to school afterwards because of this and that? I mean, they've, they've missed 12 school days this year between tornado and snow. 
And we're talking about, you know, the, the uh, different aspects of, of well, that, that tornado and how it affected things. And we, both, we all know people that lost homes and everything else. And yet, in the midst of all of it, I'm not saying that God caused that tornado in any fashion as a punishment or anything like that. But you know what? That tornado, in some strange way, was part of God's plan. It does not thwart God's plans and purposes for anyone's lives. And the various circumstances of life can be crazy sometimes, but yet we go back to a simple truth that God's in control over all all creation. Now, does God sometimes step back from his ability to stop things that we might think he should stop? Yeah, I think God does step back at times. But we understand that God is capable, and that promise of Romans 8, 28, God will cause all things to work together for good. It requires that he is a sovereign God that never loses control. And in the end, in the ultimate end, God's purposes are going to be worked out. And it's, it's, it's vital we see that now. If, if you want to consider, and just mark this down, if you, if you will, we're not going to read the passage in, 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 in full, but we consider the life of Job. Job, this is another one that, you know, the theologians have argued over, they've struggled over for years and years and years, and they're going to continue. You got the man Job that was seen as a godly man, and for some reason or other, Satan decided he wanted to pick on him. How the passage goes in, in Job chapter 1, you know, either God pointed Job out to Satan or Satan pointed Job, Job out to God, one or the other, but yet there was this discussion in heaven and God says, okay, you can have your way with Job, but you can't, you can't kill him. And, you know, he gave, basically laid out parameters and said Satan. And so you go all the way through, Job's got his friends, you know, his friends are saying, Job, there's something wrong with you. All the way through, we get to the end, and God finally teaches Job a lesson. In fact, as we look at the passages, Job is struggling with what's going on, and he's questioning, and his friends have have influenced him to some extent. And finally, God says, Job, where were you when I created? Where were you when I did all of this? And finally, Job says in chapter 42, God, I know that you know all things. Not only do I know that you know all things, I realize now beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is nothing that will ever thwart your purpose and your plan. And we see that recorded in the scriptures. And therefore, I look at that and I say, okay, God, I don't always understand, but I have to accept that truth. So what do we see? First off, we have a a life lesson, number one. God is sovereign. And his sovereignty means that he has absolute control over his creation and nothing is outside of the realm of his power and authority. We worship a God and there's nothing outside the realm of his power and his authority. And that's so vital that we keep that focus as a focus of our minds. And that's not always easy to remember. I look around and say, whoa, I don't know that I understand It is not for me always to understand, it's for me to accept. And God is sovereign. He has that absolute control over his creation and there's nothing that is outside of the realm of his power and authority. 
So that's first. Secondly, well, no, actually, let me just go on. I guess I've got one more slide that I tossed in. Uh, It's important for me, I think, to say right now that our view of God ultimately leads us to a life of faith or one that is filled with doubts, discouragements, deceptions, and delusions. It's either or. Either we're going to trust and say, okay, I believe you, God. I trust you. I don't always understand, but I believe. Or I'm going to live a life that is going to be filled with doubt, discouragement, deception, and delusion. And it's all revolving around what's my view of God? How do I see God and how He works? So that's our our first idea. Secondly, we look at God's promise. God's promise. And his promise is that he will cause all things to work together for good. As that translation says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. That's his promise. Now, what is that saying? We'll be relatively quick in this point. We're saying that God will orchestrate everything to work together to fulfill his plan. He will work everything together to fulfill what he wants to do. And I I can give, actually, I was downstairs trying to, somebody pointed to a a mirror in in the side room where I could get this mic on. Well, you know what? Dan's taller than I am. That mirror works for him, but it doesn't work for me. And I'm on my tiptoes trying to get that thing all adjusted. And I said, well, okay, I'm going downstairs where there's a mirror that I can see. So I'm downstairs trying to adjust the microphone when he, when he gave the story of us in our circumstance and going to Appleton. I'm just going to say very simply, no long, drawn-out scenario or anything like this, but the last five years have been very interesting in our lives. I pastored for 32 years and now I've had five years, almost five, four and a half years where I've not been a pastor. And God has taught me so many things. He has humbled me over and over and over again. And to say it very simply, if I'd have known five years ago when I started to step away from the ministry where I was, if I'd have known then what was going to happen I'm not so sure I would have chosen the route that was going to come forward. But now I look back on it and I say, God, even though it wasn't easy, I know that you have a plan, I know that you have purposes, and I know that you're bringing things together for the good, for the ultimate good. And I think all of us can point to things in our lives where that's been the case. I guess what I'm going to say is if you can't point to things in your life where that's been the case, either, number one, you're blind to it, and I don't mean to be cold in saying that, I'm just going to be very frank, or secondly, you're living an awfully different life than what I sense most people live. Because in this sin-filled world, there are going to be challenges that we face, and therefore we have to say, okay, God, you have a plan and a purpose in all the challenges. And he'll orchestrate everything to work together to fulfill his plan. Secondly, nothing ever catches God off guard. Nothing ever catches God off guard. We don't ever wake up on a day and say, wow, look at what's going on. God, did you know about this? He's not caught off guard. He knows the beginning and the end. He is infinitely aware of our past 
our present, and our future. So our life lesson here for this idea of God's promise is that God is infinite and we are finite. God is infinite and we are finite. In our perception and perspective, I don't know if that's a singular idea or a plural idea, so I threw the plural verb down here. Our perception and our perspective are limited by our sinful nature and our depravity. See, another verse that fits on that list of verses that are favorites is one of my all-time favorites. That's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't you dare lean on your own understanding. Because your understanding is very limited by the fact that you have a sinful nature. You are depraved. You can't recognize things always in the in the way that it really is. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God. You're the one that has it all together. You're the one that's made the promises. And what happens then? God directs our paths. He makes our paths straight. So the life lesson, God is infinite. We're finite. We're limited. And keep in mind when we look at life and say, okay, God, you promised good for me. I don't see it. It's because we're finite. Thirdly, God's people. God's people. As we look at the verse, it says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called. That's pertaining to those of us that know Christ as Lord and Savior. Or to say it in another way, these principles are relevant to those who truly love God. These principles are relevant to those of us that truly have this sense of, God, I love you because you've taught me love. I love you because you are a loving God. I love you because, as it says in 1 John, you loved first and therefore we love because you love first. And I think it's important that we realize that when it says he works things together for good for those who love him, in those moments when we're questioning and doubting him, it's not going to fit together very well right then because there's that missing element of, God, I love and I trust you. And I believe that to love God is to fear, to respect to honor and to glorify Him. And to go on a little bit farther and, and to add the and of that section that we saw earlier, those who truly love God and those who are called by God to participate in His eternal plan. I believe that when we get to heaven, there's going to be revelation to us. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Here we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Here we have partial knowledge. Eventually, we're going to have full-blown knowledge. And we are going to be able to see in heaven how God was working in circumstances in our lives. And I don't believe that that's going to be... um, you know, I think that's going to be a major part of what, what we see in heaven. 
I think heaven is going to be a glorious place. It's going to be a glorious opportunity for us to live forever in God's presence, yes. But when it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that we're going to understand things that we've never understood here, God's going to show us on the positive side times when he used us effectively to bring about his plans. And this is a, this is a question that gets asked to me often and usually we don't have time to go through all of it because it's, it's, it's intense. It's, it's a lot to talk about. But I think there are times when we miss out on God's blessings and I believe that when we get to heaven we're going to see those circumstances too. The reality is we will see how God orchestrated everything and how God, he has a huge job to do, so to speak, to bring all these things together. But plain and simple, the life lesson here says if we are genuine Christ followers, and I acknowledge this morning it's possible in this crowd that there are some of you that may not be. And I don't say that in judgment, I say that in concern because I desire that everyone would leave here today with the understanding, yes, I took Christ as my Lord and Savior and I'm headed for glory because Christ provided that. But if we are God's genuine, or if, we, if we are genuine Christ followers, we have to recognize that God's will for our lives is ultimate good. God's will for our lives is a sense of spiritual security. God's will for our lives is a sense of peace that extends beyond all our frailties, our failings, and our fears. When Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious. You know, that's a challenging verse. It really is. Don't be anxious because you know what? Anxiety is part of our lives. If you listen to Talk, Christian talk radio, either Janet Parshall or, or Chris Fabry or others that we get here on the Moody Station locally. I'd say one of their most talked about topics is how anxiety affects our lives. And I find it interesting to see that in the scriptures it says that God doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to live lives that have that sense of spiritual security and peace that goes beyond all of our frailties all of our failings, and all of our fears. Peace that passes understanding. And why is that important right now? Why am I saying that now in this life lesson? Well, I'm saying that because I believe that when we get that perspective of sound theology, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God wants to give us a sense of security. God wants to give us a sense of peace. God doesn't want us to live our lives in a frenzy over, oh, what if? And then to tie that also Philippians 1, verse 6. I want to look at that for one second here. Where the Apostle Paul wrote, he says, I am sure, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's important for us to realize that God's at work right now 
shaping us, developing us, forming us into what he desires us to be. Number four. It's important for us to understand that God's purpose will produce in our lives, God's purpose will produce in our lives that which brings, number one, ultimate glory to him, and number two, ultimate good to his people. King's glory to him, it brings good to us. Glory to him, good to us. And God's purpose will produce that which brings glory to him and good to us. How does that fit together? Just very simply, God is in the business of changing or transforming lives. He's in the business of changing lives, changing people into creatures that give him glory. And I have to keep that perspective in mind. I used the last four and a half years as an illustration again very briefly. There have been moments in the last four and a half years where God has humbled me and I've not liked any part of it at all. But when I stop and say, wait a minute now, God, you're at work. You're, you're continually transforming or changing people into creatures that give him glory. So as we see that, we realize that he is shaping and developing us into what he wants us to be. That's his role. That's his job. Shaping and developing us into what he wants us to be. And to go one step farther, he wants the pains and the problems of life that happen in a sin-saturated society to increase our desire for what glory will provide for us in the future. Here in America, especially here in America, we've developed a comfort-based mindset. I've witnessed to people, and in fact, I love your goal. 2018 by 2018, that's wonderful. In fact, there's a lady that Donna and I have witnessed to on a couple of occasions. And when we share the gospel with her, one of her responses has been, you know what, she says, I kind of like my life here. Why do I want to go to heaven? I like it here. Because we've got this comfort-based mentality. She says, I've reached the level where I've got some comfort. But I look at Romans 8, especially verses 18 through 25, and again, I, I won't read every part of it, but verse 18, just look at that verse for a moment. Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us later. The sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glories that will be revealed to us later. Stop and realize that God has a great plan for our ultimate future if we trusted him. And therefore, the life lesson in all of this is that our hope in God's promises should always trump the heartaches of the present. Now, I realize, and I'll tell you very frankly, I know clearly, I've counseled many people over the many years I've been in ministry, and sometimes it's not easy to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Sometimes right now the circumstances can be so overwhelming and so intense to say, no! 
But we need to prepare for those moments when we're not facing the challenges by saying, you know what? My hope in God's promises should always trump the heartaches that I face day by day by day. Number five. I call this God's protective provision for our lives. God's protective provision. We look at Romans 8 and we get to the end of the passage, the end of the section, the passage that Pastor Dan read there at the beginning of the service, which is wonderful. I I don't have to reread that one. But God's protective provision we have to understand what's it mean by good. Good means that God protects us with the personal presence of His Spirit. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God is protecting me. He's providing for me and He's given me the Holy Spirit to make that possible. And we need to consider all this explained and expressed about the Spirit in Romans 8 and that's That's a whole series of messages, 12 weeks long. But we understand it says God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His children. God's Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Those are just two statements that He makes in this passage about the Spirit. And then it's vital that we understand that good, and so often in Scriptures, I think, we make things into material blessings when, in fact, that's not God's intention. Good does not refer to material or physical prosperity. It relates to an intimate way, the intimate way to... It relates to an intimate way that, 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 that the Spirit impacts our lives. And and it's vital that we see that, that God's Spirit, He lives inside and He brings about peace that passes understanding. Peace in the midst of, I don't understand. And our life lesson for this, very simply, is that it is God's will for all of us who are believers to enjoy the special privilege of God's permanent presence in our lives. It is God's will for all of us who are believers to enjoy that special privilege of God's permanent presence in our lives. Just a quick aside. You can mark this down and look at it later. John 13, 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is getting ready to leave the disciples. It's his upper room before he died. What's Jesus say? It is good for you that I go away because if I go away, then the Spirit's going to come. He wants us to enjoy. He wants us to have that Holy Spirit just guiding and guarding our lives because it's the best thing God gave. The Old Testament, God gave a set of ten, ten commandments and rules and regulations to guide the lives of the people. Did that work out well? No. God knew it wasn't going to. But for us, He gives us the Spirit to guard and guide our lives. What a wondrous blessing. And finally... The last thing, God's presence. God's presence. I've talked all about it throughout the whole time this morning. God's presence. God's plan for our lives is eternal. Stop and put that in perspective. It's eternal. It started the day we trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, but it goes on and on and on and on and on and on forever. 
His plan for our lives is eternal, and God is for us, not against us. Romans 8, if God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is for us. He's on our side. And I find it interesting, you know, most of the time we would make it such that, no, I'm on God's side. I'm on God's team. Yes, I know that's what we, we look at, but this passage twists it around and says, no, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. And he said, goes on in the passage and he says, nothing at all can separate us from the love of Christ. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. And for our life lesson here, I just have three verses and we're going to close. Life lesson, three ideas. 1 John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus says to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. It's interesting how he says another helper, another comforter to be with you forever, it says. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. I see when non-believers, non-Christians are facing turmoil in life and I wonder how can they, they, they tolerate it? How can they face it? Because they don't have the Spirit. The world cannot receive the Spirit. But Jesus concludes that section in John 14 and he says, the Spirit whom the world cannot receive, he will be in you. Or a passage that Pastor Dan's going to come to eventually when his series in Romans, Romans 13. The end of verse 5 and verse 6, where the, the, the writer says, God says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he goes on and says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or finally, you're going to accomplish 2018 by 2018, go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing, teaching. But please take notice, he says at the end of that passage, I will always be with you to the end of the age. God is with us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the privilege this morning of teaching your word. And I honestly have to say, God, I, 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 well, I just plead with you now to press home into the minds of each dear person here today the truths that will make a difference for their lives today, tomorrow, this week, this month, for the rest of their lives. Impress upon us the truths that would say to us, God, I know that you're working all things out for our good. And when life crumbles down around me, Father, help me to reclaim that promise and recognize that you are at work in the midst of it. Help me to take the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells me. Help each one of us to take that, Father, and to go and do what you've called us to do and be what you've asked us to be. I pray that we would not live lives that are filled with doubts, discouragements, deceptions, and delusions. 
but rather we live lives of faith. Thank you again for the privilege today. Guard and guide, Father, for the sake of your glory and for our ultimate good. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.